What a fun video. And hey, welcome. It is so good to be here with you. Will you give it up for our children one more time? I mean, I was sitting right back there, and, and I've seen it Saturday, saw it at 9 o'clock, and I just, like, I just, like, started tearing up. And, I, and my wife will tell you, I'm not, like, this, this crier all, I mean, I, I don't, but there's something about being with the people of God, and there's these moments that do happen where you just become overwhelmed with joy. And the, the part where I became overwhelmed with joy was when the children were leading us, we have every reason to praise the Lord. We have every reason. And it just, it really did, it just overwhelmed me that, that really we, we have every reason, but for some reason though, I, I feel like as human beings, even believers, we think of all the reasons why we shouldn't. But yet, from the mouths of children, they reminded us that we have every reason to praise the Lord. And so that's where I just became overwhelmed with the joy of, of heaven. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 will be there. And then also a few verses in chapter 11. While you're turning there, I'm looking at this phrase this morning, in my way. Everybody say, in my way. If you would think of all of the places that you went this past week and all of the things that you did this past week, I promise you can think of many moments where you thought to yourself, they are in my way. I mean, this happens quite often in the kitchen in the Laxton house. Someone is always in my way, in my way. Like get out, I want ice from my ice maker. Why are you using my ice maker? Now, I know some of you, you're chuckling because I got an ice maker for Christmas that I had been praying for and God miraculously made it show up. But for some reason, people want to take ice out of my ice maker. And then I'm thinking of moments where I'm driving on 434 and undoubtedly two people want to drive Miss Daisy and go actually 40 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. And I'm like, you're in my way, in my way. I think to myself, too, of what happened this past Friday. Joni and I, we are on our date night. We are walking through Epcot. We are eating our way around the world, if you know what I mean. And so we stop in Canada. We get some beef tips. And man, oh, this is awesome. This is great. And, and then we walk some further, and there's France. And I'm looking at the menu, and I'm like, yeah, but, oh, beignet. Woo, love me some beignet. And Joni's like, well, you, you, you can, you know, if you want to stand in line and get a beignet, that, that'd be great. And so I did. I stood in line. And the great thing about stopping in France and getting a beignet is I didn't have to share it with Joni because she's gluten-free. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're such a bad husband. I am, I am, I am selfish in so many ways. That's why I need Jesus to sanctify me. And I'll come back to that later on in the message. <laughs> But then as we continue to walk, uh, I encountered this woman that one, and you've, you've seen these people where they are walking, they're walking, and then they abruptly stop. And you're like, traffic is still coming. If you're going to stop where there are a lot of people, you need to move your rear. But she didn't. She stopped abruptly. She turned back and she started to head right towards me. And so I'm like, and, and we've all been here, right? You have somebody walking towards you. You are walking towards them. And you think to yourself, I wonder which way they're going to go. So as she goes right, I go left. 
Well, undoubtedly, I faked her out or she faked herself out because as she went right and I went left, she actually started to go left. And then we all have danced with some stranger, haven't we, where you go, I hate that. Absolutely hate it. It's the worst feeling in the world. So what I typically do, if we're going to do a, a couple of little steps back and forth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. Which way are you going to go? So I let her choose the way, and I just stop until she passes me. Now, I had something happen to me Friday that has never happened to me before. As this lady passes me, she makes this sound. Like the woman just grunted at me. And my wife heard it. She's like, what's wrong with her? I guess I was in her way. I was thinking about this idea of in my way, and I cannot think of a situation where when someone is in my way, it's positive. Like, I mean, I was, I was trying to rack my brain. Like, when someone has gotten in my way that has prevented me from getting something, like there's times where I, I won't tell you which family member says it, but there are times when a family member will see the dessert I have on my plate and they'll say these words. What do you have in there, fatty? I'm like, that's psychologically getting in my way. So, so I have not thought of a, 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 good, a good example of someone getting in my way and me going, yay, they got in my way. You say, what does this have to do with where we're going? Well, where we're going this morning is we'll see two men, Cornelius and Peter, and how God got in their way. And what I want us to be challenged with this morning is that we need to be people that let God get in our way. Here's the main point that we're going to flesh out this morning. We never have the right to get in God's way, but he should always have the right to get in our way. So I want you to sit in that for a second because, again, uh, you, we can think of all these moments where people get in our way and we're frustrated. It prevents us from, but, but we should never be frustrated. We should never get mad. We should actually be open to God getting in our way. And we'll see that with Peter and Cornelius. So will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Acts 10, 1 through 16, uh, we'll share some verses at the end of uh, chapter 10 and then also in chapter 11. But here it is. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So he is a Gentile, he's not a Jew. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So at some point, Cornelius, he had converted from Gentile paganism to Judaism, but he had not gone the, the full-on out mile to get circumcised. You say, what circumcision? Pastor Derwin, he is in this service. If you want to pull him aside, afterwards he'd, be, he'd love to tell you how circumcision happened in the early, early, you know, uh, first century. Anyways, so moving right along. So one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Then the, then the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. 
Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is also called Peter. And this is important. Why? Because he's staying with another Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. So make sure you find Simon Peter, not Simon the tanner. When the angel who spoke to him, to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was, once, uh, who was one of his attendants. Now he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now he became hungry, really hangry, and this is why. And he wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a what? That's why he's hangry. He's so hangry, he fell into a trance. And so during that trance, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Let's go hunting, Peter. Kill you some pig and eat you some ribs. That's what he's saying. But, but verse 14, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now just on a side note, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus did teach that he had declared all food clean, even for Jews. And so Peter's still a good Jew, and he has, not eat, he has not ate anything that Jews would have considered unclean. So that's the vision. Now, verse 27, fast forward. He gets to Cornelius' house. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to what? With or visit a? Everybody say that word. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That was the meaning behind the vision. And then, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. I did not get in God's way. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received, talking about the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now, the Spirit told me. So in Acts 11, there's a lot of these, these Jews that have been saved. They wanted to hear from Peter because they were concerned that Peter broke law and went to spend some time with the Gentiles. And so... Here's Peter telling them the story. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So the Spirit told me not to get in God's way. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now look, look at these verses. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in whose way? Who are we to think? If God wants to get in our way, who are we to think that God can get in our way? Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections. They're like, all right, we're not going to get in God's way from now on either. And they praise God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, get in our way. 
That's what we're praying for this morning. Will you get in our way? So spirit, move, minister to us. Show us how God wants to get in our way that we might leave different than when we came here this morning as a result of your work in our life. For it's in our King's name, King Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to do three things, or basically we're going to answer three questions this morning. The first question we're going to answer is, why does God want to get in our way? Second, how does God get in our way? And then third, what happens when we let God get in our way? So let's tackle number one. Why does God want to get in our way? Why does God want to get in our way? So think about that. Why does God want to get in your way, my way? Here's the short answer. Because something is wrong with our faith. The reason why God wants to get in our way, something is wrong with our faith. Something was wrong with Cornelius' faith. Something was wrong with Peter's faith. Now, you're sitting there, and just so that we can be all on the same page, let's define faith together this morning. Faith is belief in, confidence in, trust in, be committed to fill in the blank. Everybody has faith. Regardless of whether you are a Christian, a non-Christian, or regardless of what ethnicity you are, what nation you come from, where you grew up, everyone has faith. Everyone believes in something or someone. Everybody puts their trust and their confidence in something or someone. Everybody is committed to something or someone. Everybody has faith. Now, months ago during a series that we had called Transitions, I preached a message on Peter, actually, where I talked about four elements of faith. Well, since then, I have added an element, and so there are five elements of faith, and so I want to share those with you, and you'll see how they make sense here in a second. But the first element of faith is actually worldview. Worldview. Everyone has a worldview that comprises their faith. Now, when you think of a worldview, here are some things that I want you to note. A worldview lays a foundation to life. So if you want to know what a human being is and does, your worldview will actually help you understand that. A worldview gives a framework for what you believe about the world. So what you believe, why did the, why did the world you know, come into existence? Uh, why, why do we exist? Or why is there pain and suffering? What, what, what is the solution? Or is there a solution to pain and suffering? And so that's why it provides answers to questions human ask. It can also provide answers like, why do we work? How do we work? What do we do in our work? And then a worldview contains who or what you see as authoritative. I was talking to a a person a couple of weeks ago, and they just have different beliefs than what I hold to. And as I was talking to them, I just said, okay, where do you get that? So you, you believe this but where, where do you get that? Do you just conjure that up? Or is there a book? Or is there a sacred book that, that, you, that you read or that you see as authoritative? Because your worldview will 
give you what you see as authoritative, and that is how you are going to be directed in life. That, 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 authority, that authority, whether it's from a book, from a person, from a sect, I, I don't know, but you're going to see them as authoritative in your life. They drive you or it drives you. So that, that's a worldview. The, the second element of faith would be mission. So how you see the world will determine the purpose of your life. So what is the purpose of your life? Well, there, there's only two options that, that we have, and those options are this. Number one, you can have a man-centered purpose where your purpose is to fulfill personal, religious, or moral obligations. So every single day you wake up and your purpose is to fulfill whatever it is you feel like is the purpose for your life. Success, maybe feelings, whatever it is, but that's you. It's man-centered purpose. A God-centered purpose is participating in what God already fulfilled or accomplished. So for us, let me just catch us up on what we believe as Christians on a worldview level you could actually look at the entire Bible, all 66 books from Genesis all the way through Revelation as one big overarching story that has four main parts, creation. God created the world and it was good. He created mankind in his image and his likeness to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Well, the second point would be fall. So what God had created that was good, that was ordered, man unraveled the goodness, unraveled the order, and instilled chaos into the world. And they did that because they disobeyed God. God was the authority, they chose to be their own authority, and so therefore you have the fall. So creation, fall, then redemption. That's the third point of the story, the overarching story of the Bible. God loved his creation, God loved his image bearers too much to leave them in chaos, to leave them in brokenness, so Therefore, he sent his one and only son, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin, to redeem us and to reconcile us to God. And then the fourth point of the story is restoration, that the Bible points to a final restoration where Jesus, our king, will come back and he will fully make all things new. And so now the purpose of our life is to participate in what God already fulfilled or accomplished in Jesus Christ. So that's what we believe as Christians when it comes to our worldview and our mission. But I would say all of those people who would not classify themselves as Christians, they still have a worldview and a mission. The third, the third element of faith is the center or the per person or thing that the faith is in. So your worldview and your mission will determine who your center is. Now, you have three options here when it comes to picking a center. You can pick you as the center through cultural, personal success or personal feelings. All right, so, so think about this. And, and what we're actually seeing, we, we have a combination of those existing in our cultural context now. So in the previous or the past generation, so look at your Gen Xers, look at your baby boomers, your traditionalists, you know, they're going to look and go, you know, cultural personal success, living the American dream. 
So they're going to see success as uh, having a certain amount of money, living in a certain place, having a title or a position in their job. It's this cultural success. And so, so every single day, they are, they are revolving their entire life around being successful. Well, now in the younger generations, like some millennials and then Gen Z, now their center is my personal feelings. So every day I wake up, I, I am striving to meet my feelings, to satisfy them, to make them whole, to make them complete. So I want to feel a certain way. So every single day I am motivated to make sure I feel the way I want to feel. So that's a center. But there's also another center around you, and that is fulfilling religious moral obligations to somehow secure salvation. So every other religion outside of Christianity teaches this, where you have to pray enough, you have to give enough, you have to be good enough, you have to do enough in order to work your way to God. And at the end of the day, it's not God that saves it's your performance and works that save. So if you feel like you've got to go to church enough, that you've got to give enough, that you've got to serve enough, that you've got to be moral enough in, in some way to earn God's favor, to earn God's grace, God is not the center of your religious system. You are. And so that's a you-centered way of thinking about your faith, but then there is a God center, and that's revolving all of life around the glory of God, fueled by the love of God, and love for God, for who he is, and what he has done. Now, I purposely capitalized done, because what has God done? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take our place. Jesus paid the debt, the sin debt that we could not pay. But Jesus did it for us, for the glory of God. He died, he was buried, and that's why I can't wait until next weekend when we have a resurrection party because our king died and he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. <laughs> that's what God done. And so now all of life centers around the glory of King Jesus. Everything in our life centers around him. The fourth element of faith is ethics. It's your pattern of behavior. So, the, so your worldview and your mission and who the center is will inform you of how you behave. How you behave. Now, I want you to think of ethics in, in this way, and there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at ethics and how they apply to us. So, so ethics are what is right or wrong, what is good or bad. Now, personally, so what, what is good, what, what is bad? What is right, what is wrong? Do I say that, do I not say that? Do I say it this way or not say it this way? How do I, you know, so you're always asking what is right what is what is wrong? Well, what is good? What is bad? Personally, then relationally, you're asking those same questions like, how do I how do I treat my neighbor? How do I treat my mom and dad? How do I treat my spouse? How do I treat my coworker? How do I treat someone who doesn't look like me, who is of a, who is of a different ethnicity or race or socioeconomic status than me? That that's your relation ethic, and then vocationally. 
That's where you get business ethics. How do we conduct business? How do we conduct our medical practice for those of you who are in the industry? And then also legal ethics. Like what is legal, what is not legal? Uh, So that's vocationally. And then culturally, what your culture has set up. And I've been using these two examples. Just because our culture says it's okay to kill children in the womb doesn't necessarily mean it mean it's right. And then also our culture has redefined the institution of marriage. Just because they have culturally redefined it doesn't make it right. And, and so, and that's the thing, that's what ethics, they, they answer what is good, what is, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And then the last element of faith would be maturity. That's the practices of faith. Every single person on planet earth, there are practices that they have to develop their understanding of the world, to develop their faith. Now for Christians, we have a lot of practices. Let me just give you some on the screen. We have prayer. Praise and corporate worship, giving, evangelism, learning, reading, community, fellowship, service, rest. And again, there are, there are a host of other practices. And then when you look at other, other religions or uh, other faiths, and that's why some do meditation, some do yoga, some have classes. What are they doing? They are growing in their understanding of their faith. One of the reasons why... Now, you got to put your thinking cap on, but I've just given you the reason why our cultural context, America, is all over the map when it comes to their faith because they are inconsistent with their faith because they have a conglomerate of what they believe, and it's inconsistent in every area of their life. But with the Christian worldview, what God is going to do through our faith is that he is going to bring in complete alignment if we let him get in the way. If we let him get in our way, he is going to bring complete alignment to our worldview, to our mission, to the center of our faith, to our ethics, and then to our practices. And that's what we will see with Cornelius and Peter. So what you're thinking of right now is, okay, uh, Cornelius. Well, what was so wrong with Cornelius? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Here's Cornelius's faith. So worldview, he's good. He believes in the scriptures. He believes in the Hebrew scriptures. He, believe that, he believes that God created the heavens and the earth, that mankind is a sinner in need of salvation. So he has a, he has a right worldview, but mission, not, not, not too good. Because he was still under the you-centered religious system where he had to do enough in order to earn God's grace. That's what he believed. That's the reason why he's a devout man. That's the reason why he's given alms to the poor. I mean, he's feeling like I've got to do this so that God will do this. And so his center was him. But then his ethics and even his practices of faith, I'd give him a thumbs up on both. Now, again, we don't know all of the ins and outs of Cornelius' life, but one of the, the ethics that he was excelling in is how he looked at Jews. Like, he had no problem hanging out with Jews. He had no problem inviting a Jew over to his house. In fact, in Caesarea, he was well known among the Jewish people and was held in high esteem. But then you look at his maturity and his practices of faith. I mean, this is a man who practiced his faith. He was consistent with his faith. So he's got two thumbs up there. 
But I want to look at these two for a second. Because the reason why God had to get in Cornelius' way was so that Cornelius could be saved. Now, I want you to know, Cornelius, he is a religious, spiritual, moral person. He, he could even quote probably some of the Old Testament passages, yet he needed to be saved. So you might be here this morning, you might be engaging with this online, and you have a correct worldview, you have at least a theistic worldview, you have, you, you, you're good morally, you even practice the faith, like you read your Bible, you pray, you attend corporate worship, but your center and your mission is off because you have not trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and so you are in desperate need of God getting in your way just like Cornelius so that you can be saved morality doesn't save you religiosity doesn't save you spirituality doesn't save you only Jesus saves so that's why he's got he's got three you know he's got three thumbs up two thumbs down but if you get this thumbs down you are lost Okay, now Peter. Now some of you are like, well, what about Peter? Where, where was his faith off? I'm glad to, yeah, here's Peter's faith. All right, worldview, boop, good. Mission, good, boop. Center, boop. I mean, thumbs up all around. Why? Because Peter has spent three and a half years, three to three and a half years with Jesus. At one point, Peter tells Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, Peter, like flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, only my Father in heaven revealed that to you, so congratulations, you are saved. And then we even see even when Peter messed up and he betrayed Jesus, he went out and he wept bitterly because he had betrayed the center of his faith, and so there was godly repentance. So, so he's saved, but now he's got two thumbs down here, which means he needs to be sanctified. Because ethics, so that vision that he has of all of these animals and God saying kill and eat, he's still struggling with this idea of breaking from Judaism, particularly around hanging out with Gentiles. Like he, he told Cornelius in the household when he got there, you know the Jewish law, that it is against the law for me to be here right now, but God, he, he's done something. The light bulb finally went off in my life. I mean, because if you think about it, Jesus had already taught Peter these things. But now he's confronted with the reality that you might know intellectually and theologically what you should do. You need to now let it now flow from your life practically and behaviorally. You need to be sanctified. So ethically and then maturity practices of faith one of the practices of faith was evangelism to go make disciples of all nations to be Jesus's witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world so so again Peter knew he had not practiced but now God is going to get in his way and bring sanctification you say well what sanctification again Joshua sanctification of being sanctified is the process of being conformed or molded or shaped more into the image of Jesus. Peter needed to be shaped more into the image of Jesus. 
So he had his worldview, he had his mission, he had his center correct, but his ethics and his practices needed to come more in line to who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted from Peter. So where do you need God to get in your way? And I would say, here this morning, you engaging us online, most of you would need God to get in your way and sanctify you. So let me give you a list of ways that I think some of us here need to be sanctified, which means just we need to be molded and shaped and conformed more into the image of Jesus. Some of you, you are professional complainers, grumblers, negative people. I promise you, the more Jesus you have, the less negative you'll become. And you won't walk around just thinking every, you won't, you won't walk around thinking the bad about everybody. You won't be calling up at the church and just assuming the worst. Why somebody called? No, I, not, not that I know of, I don't, you know, just saying. Some of you need to be sanctified in your purity. You need to stop looking at that junk. You need to let God to get in your heart and your mind, clean, clean that stuff out. Uh, so some of you need to be sanctified in how you see others. You're, race, you're a racist. And you need God to sanctify you in this area. You, you have prejudices that you need to let God work out in your heart. And don't sit there and go, well, that's just how I was raised. That's how Peter was raised. But God's getting in his way. Some of you need to be sanctified and, and work on your integrity. That, you, that you're going to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of you need to work on your sanctification by quit being lazy. And again, I don't know how you're being lazy right now. You, if you're not reading the word, you're not praying, I would say that spiritual lethar, you know, lethargy is lazy. You need to pray and spend time in God's word. I'm not asking you to do two, three, four hours at a time. Two, five, ten minutes. Some of you are lazy with your spouse. When's the last time you went on a date night? When's the last time you wrote her a love note? When's the last time you, you talked to your child? That you just had time with your, your, your child? You're just lazy. I'm just, so, I'm just so tired. Listen, yes, we're, we're all tired, but what's priority? And so you need to ask God to sanctify you in re-orchestrating and reorienting your priorities. Some of you, you need to be sanctified to be willing and ready to share your faith. You say, well, I don't know all the Bible. I'm not asking you to know all the Bible. Jesus isn't asking you to know all the Bible. All he's asking you to do is to tell someone how you have been changed and transformed by him. That's it. Some of you, you need to be sanctified by, by allowing God to get in your way of your greediness and your stinginess. You're greedy. Listen, it's not, it's not your time, it's not your talents, it's not your treasures. They were given to you by God and you need to use them in a manner that brings him glory and works for others good, not just yourself. And so you need him to get in your way. Some of you need, a, you need to be sanctified by, by quit being so self-righteous and prideful, thinking that you all that because you ain't all that. You like how I shake my head? I got that from my mom. That's what she did when I, you know, I was like. Yeah. Some of you need to be sanctified by quit feeling the need to please everybody. There's only one that you 
should please, and his name's Jesus. Um, and then some of you might need to be sanctified by how you define success. Because I promise you that many of us, we have a concept of what we think success is, but that's not Jesus's definition of success. And then some of us need to be sanctified in our service. And I know what some of you are thinking, I really don't like you giving this list. I'm really upset. Well, you know, at the end of the day, God's really upset with you. And all he wants to do is get in your way. So that's, listen, if the shoe fits, wear it, wear it. Now, again, I'm talking about Christians. If you are not a Christian, God's not trying to get in your way to sanctify you. He's wanting to save you. But if you're saved, he wants to sanctify you. So therefore, he's going to step on your toes. He's going to get in your grill and he's going to get in your way. Deal with it. (laughs) It's still rough, Pastor Josh. You'll get over it. All right, number two. How does God get in our way? So why he gets in our way is because something's wrong with our faith. So how, how does he get in Cornelius and Peter's way? Well, two things he's going to do. He's going to give them a vision and then he's going to anchor it into the gospel. And so let's talk about their vision for, for, for a second. So Cornelius is given this vision that he needs to go get Peter. So Peter is the answer to this, 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 this thing that God wants to do in his life, which is to save him. So he's gotta go get Peter, so he has this vision. Peter, he has this vision that God is wanting him to reach and engage everyone, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. So you could call this vision that both Cornelius and Peter have as an alternative vision to the way they're living. So so God wants to do the same thing to us in the 21st century. He wants to give us an alternative vision to the way we're living. So for some of you, he wants to give you that alternative vision and he wants to save you. He wants you to turn from yourself. He wants to turn from you living for yourself to living for him. But then there's some of you, this alternative vision to the way you're living will have to deal with ethics and your practices of faith, just like Peter. Well, how does God give us vision today, Josh? Well, I think, I think sometimes he will give us a dream. I think sometimes he might give us the alternative vision in a corporate worship gathering just like this. It might come through you reading God's word, spending time with him. It might come through prayer. It might come through spending time with a friend, fellowshipping with him and let iron sharpen iron. It might come through a counseling session where you have this breakthrough. You're like, oh my land, that's it. And that's an alternative vision that God gives you. It's this, it's this spirit-prompted communication that, that God uses to get in your way to say, stop doing this and start doing this. But then, that alternative vision will always be anchored in the gospel. Because Peter is sent for, and he comes to Cornelius' house. In verses 34 through 43, Peter actually declares the gospel. So let's just look at what Peter declares to Cornelius and his household. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show what? But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, 
What we see here is what God does. God, he shows no favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. And this is how God's going to do it. This is how God is going to accept people from every nation who fear him and does what is right. And it's through the good news, the gospel message. You know the message. God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the what? Of peace. That peace is total shalom, total flourishing, the good news of peace. Through who? Jesus Christ, who is Lord, who is king over all. So that is how God is going to accept people from every nation on planet earth is those who declare Jesus as Lord, those who declare Jesus as king, all right? Now, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judah. So who's Jesus? Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. So what Jesus is showing through his healing ministry, through his signs and, and wonders, is the embracing kingdom of God. Now... Because God was with him, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. That's what we believe. And on the third day, and caused him to be seen. This is who Jesus is. This is why he can save. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. That is why Jesus should be our center, right? All the prophets, so Cornelius, you know the Old Testament, all of the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Cornelius, God has gotten in your way to save you and you can only be saved through Jesus. Peter, God is getting in your way. And the reason why Peter allowed God and wanted God to get in his way is because he was living out the gospel. The center of our lives should be Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is our center, we will always allow him to get in our way. Now, I, I want to drill down, though, on the way that God got in Peter's way. Because it does come to him. And it, he is enlightened, not, not, I mean, at least from a practical behavioral standpoint that he is to engage Gentiles with the gospel. And I want to drill down on what that means for us today. So that means that Jesus wants his followers, he wants his church to reach and engage the following. Now this list, I'm about to read a list, and I could add a lot more people to this list, but I promise you there will be some points, some people on this list that you will have a hard time with, just as Peter had a hard time going to a Gentile's house. Jesus wants us, his church, to engage pagans and wretches and adulterers and murderers 
and pacifists and Democrats and Republicans, oh my. <laughs> Progressives and conservatives, heterosexuals, homosexuals, trans, perverts, pedophiles, prostitutes, addicts, abortionists, activists, abusers, prisoners, the incarcerated, gang members, religious Pharisees, jihadists, atheists, agnostics, and even the one percenters. Why does Jesus want his followers to reach and engage those because Jesus wants to save sinners from every nation on planet earth and there is no one who is beyond the reach of Jesus. And like I said a few moments ago, intellectually, theologically, Peter knew it, but for the first time he's gonna act on it. I'm telling you, I, I'm telling, I, I struggle there. There's a lot of theology that I know. There's a lot of understanding that I have. But it has not seeped from my mind to my heart to my hands. And so there are some things this morning that God is getting your attention as a believer that you've known it for a long time, but you've never put it into practice just like Peter. And then the last question is this. What happens when we let God get in our way? What happens when we let God get in our way? Well, the Holy Spirit then goes to work. And the Holy Spirit, when he goes to work, mission happens. People are reached. The gospel saves people. People are forgiven. People are set free. Uh, that, that whole list that I just read, those people are filled with the Spirit of God, and they are completely transformed. Then fellowship happens, particularly here in this case, between Jews and Gentiles. Praise breaks out. I mean, one of the things that I find just absolutely fascinating is Peter actually stays the night at a Gentile's house for a couple of days. That's actually like Donald Trump going to the White House and spending a few nights with Joe Biden. Or Marjorie Taylor Greene calling on Nancy Pelosi. Let's have some girls weekend. <laughs> That's what the gospel does. When we let the gospel get in our way, it does the unimaginable. It does the unthinkable. And the more, I, I, I get it. Here's, here's the principle. I'm going to leave you with this principle right here. The more you let God get in your way, the more God's ways get into you. See, the more you let God get in your way, the deeper you're going to go in hope. The deeper you're going to go in peace. The deeper you are going to go in God's love. The deeper we're going to go in unity. The deeper we're going to go in fellowship. The deeper we're going to go in understanding. The deeper we're going to go in prayer. The deeper we're going to go into our Bible reading. Why? Because when we let God get in our way, his ways get into us. And could you imagine, oh, could you imagine what will happen if Northland Church just will always be open to God getting in our way? Whew. Because we never have the right to get in his way. He always has the right to get into ours. Father, will you get in our way? Get up in our grill. Will you save people this morning? Will they just simply repent? Will they do a 180 
where they cease living for themselves and they will turn to you, Jesus, and they will start living for you as Savior and King. I pray that you would get in our way and sanctify us. You'll make us more like Jesus. We'll go deeper in his life that we might properly reflect him to a world that lays in darkness. So do this in the powerful name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen.